Today's sermon is based on these two short little verses in the big book of Revelation, chapter 14. The Apostle John is describing a vision that God has given him, and this is what he says. Then I saw another angel flying in midair, and he had the eternal gospel to proclaim to those who live on the earth, to every nation, tribe, language, and people. He said in a loud voice, Fear God and give him glory because the hour of his judgment has come. Worship him who made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and the springs of water. This is the word of the Lord. So I made an appointment to get two new tires put on my truck, and I made the appointment at my favorite tire shop. One of the reasons they're my favorite is because if I make an appointment, it takes 10 or 15 minutes, tops, and that's it. So I made the appointment, I went in, I dropped off my truck, and uh, I dropped it off with Carlos, who was the uh, customer counter representative, and I sat down to wait. Just in case it would take not 10 or 15 minutes, but 20 or 30 minutes, no problem, I was prepared. I brought my laptop, I could crunch out some email while I was waiting. They had Wi-Fi in the lobby. It worked great. So I sit down, ready to go. I'm at my laptop. Even if it takes 10 or 15 minutes, I can squeeze a few out, right? So I'm there and I'm working, and I cannot concentrate because I'm sitting directly across from the counter. It's like 10 feet away. There is an irate customer losing his religion at the counter and yelling at the top of his voice at the customer counter representative that he's dealing with, not Carlos, another guy. And there's a guy sitting right there, and there's a plant here and then a chair. A guy in that chair is kindly sharing his entire phone conversation with the entire lobby, talking loud enough so we can all know what he's talking about. And there's this, well, the noise is just coming from the tire shop. Like, like percussive, punctuating noise, like kind of like gunfire, pop, 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 gets attention. This is like trying to be louder than the noise in the lobby. And the three-year-old over here was making it very clear to his mom by his whining that he did not want to be there waiting. I couldn't hear myself think. Ah, anticipating such a moment. I dug into my bag, got out my earbuds, plugged them into my laptop, put them in my ears, turned on my favorite playlist, turned up the volume. And I thought, ooh, I might, if they call my name, I might not hear them. But no problem, because I was sitting right across from Carlos, who knew I was sitting there. So I did that, and I was in my own happy little world. And I was plowing away on an e email, and, uh, and you know, it was maybe 45 minutes later or so, and I kind of started to get the feeling, ah, oh, this is taking a little longer than normal. No problem, I need to be patient, I'm gonna wait. Wait a little longer, and pretty soon, people who, were, who had come after I arrived were leaving before I left. I'm thinking, well, this doesn't make a lot of sense. An hour and 15 minutes after I dropped my truck off and started waiting, I approached Carlos and very kindly and patiently and gently said, Carlos, I had an appointment, Usually it takes 10 or 15 minutes. It's been an hour and 15. Is there something wrong? Oh, he, he went to check on it right away. And uh, within 30 seconds, I saw Carlos pull my truck up to the front 
of the place. And so I walked out to meet him, and he said, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, Mr. Lindemann, um, our technician called you an hour ago, and he called three times. You didn't hear him. Yeah. So I drove home a bit frustrated at the fact that I missed the message. Um, and honestly, I was frustrated with them a little bit. I mean, the tech could have... And I, don't, I suppose there's people who drop their vehicles off and then go shopping and they aren't there when they call their name. I, the tech could have come and found me, but I think I'll take more of the blame because I had my earbuds plugged in. I was listening to my playlist and I didn't hear the message. I missed the message. And it was my fault. When was the last time you missed a message? Like, uh, you know, you didn't hear your friend. Uh, you didn't hear your boyfriend proposed to you because you were at a concert and the music was too loud. Or you didn't understand something because it was spoken in a different language. Or the email didn't hit your inbox. Or we had a church meeting in like last week in this cavernous space and we were all kind of seated apart from each other. We, we couldn't hear each other very well at this church meeting, right? <laughs> and that just, that can... Missing a message can be frustrating. It can cause friction because you can, as a group, move forward on incorrect assumptions because you can't hear each other. Now, what's true socially is also true spiritually when it comes to missed messages. Let me give some examples. You're not getting a clear answer to the prayer you've been praying. Or... You're asking God for guidance, and God opens up a door, and you walk through it to only find a hundred closed doors. Or the Bible says uh, even a small amount of faith can move a mountain, and you're thinking, well, I, I certainly have at least, at least a small amount of faith, but it feels like you're digging a hole and not moving a mountain. Or there's so many beliefs out there, and you know the Bible, but you also know and love and trust your friends, and you're, you consider yourself a, an intellectual person, and there seems to be some intellectual, rational explanations that seem to contradict what the Bible says, or maybe they can all be true. What are you supposed to believe? Right? All of that has to do with missed messages spiritually. Welcome to the dilemma of Martin Luther. Martin Luther is a 16th century priest and monk. And God had just placed it in Luther's heart to have just, just this, this desire to be close to God in ways that other priests and monks and, and, w w didn't have, weren't in those days. But Martin Luther was confused. And he was confused primarily because of all the noise out there, all the noise. There was noise coming from his own heart and his own conscience he was stricken with his sins. There was his father's voice who perhaps didn't approve of Martin because his father wanted Martin to be a lawyer. Yep. And Martin, and Martin said, no, thanks, I'm going to be a monk. There was noise in the church. There was church politics. There was church tradition and doctrine that, has been, that had been true for years in the Roman Catholic Church. And all of it was competing noise for Luther so that he couldn't hear God's voice clearly when he was looking for God. Until he had, this, he had his light bulb moment when he was studying the book of 
Romans. And it's there that Luther discovered the gospel. What, what he says for the first time. You look on your sermon notes today, on the questions under there, I put a link on one of the questions where you can hear uh, a pastor on YouTube reading what Luther wrote as Luther describes the very moment where he feels he discovered the gospel for the first time as he was studying the book of Romans. So look at that link. It's about a little seven, eight, nine-minute video. Um, very helpful as you hear Luther in his own words say, I discovered the gospel. There in the Bible, as Luther opened the Bible and realized it's in the Bible that I can hear God's voice, that I can hear the gospel. So many statues of Martin Luther today, uh, it's very common for a statue of Martin Luther to have Martin Luther in it and to have a Bible in it and have Luther pointing to the Bible or sharing the Bible. Um, I'm picturing one now that's actually the statue at the seminary that I attended and actually was uh, installed at the seminary when I, was, uh, when I was there, when I was a student there. And it shows you such a statue where it's Martin Luther holding the Bible. The Bible was a treasure to Luther because he discovered God there, and we do too. Now, I'm, I keep saying Luther discovered the gospel. What's the gospel? Gospel is a word that in the Greek it's oi angelion. Oi means good. Angel, angel means message. So technically speaking, the gospel is the good message or good news. Or you might say it's the message of promise that God gives to us, that, that sinners are saved by grace through faith. That's the gospel. That's what Luther discovered. And, and so our verses in Revelation actually use that word then today where John is looking and he sees an angel flying in midair and that angel has the gospel. Particularly here in these verses of Revelation, the eternal gospel. And that's a big word that's attached to gospel and that's where I want to focus today, the eternal gospel. First, another story. In, in my college days, uh, I wrote love letters to my girlfriend. No email, no texting, way, way long before Facebook. I, I'm dating myself. Some of you are nodding. Some of you have no clue what I'm talking about. But uh, I, literally, physically writing a letter, putting it in an envelope, licking the envelope, putting a stamp on it, putting it in the mail, and then three or four days later, calling her on the phone that had a cord attached to the wall because there were no other phones and saying, hi, did you get my letter? Or waiting for a letter to come back. All right, that, that way. Now, sometimes I would be a little creative about how I would tell her that I loved her. I would send crossword puzzles or poems or riddles. One time, I was even more creative to tell her how much I loved her. I shaved off my beard and I kept all the trimmings and I, put, I just put them in an envelope with nothing else in the envelope, sealed the envelope, put a stamp on it, and I sent it her way. Yeah, that was kind of a missed message because she didn't really feel like I loved her when she all excitedly opened the envelope in her kitchen and all the black whiskers went all over the place. And, uh, but I was telling her, my message was, I love you because she didn't like my beard. And so I was doing it for her. Now, moral of the story, it worked because she married me. I haven't had a beard since then. And 
of all the love letters that I sent her, guess which one she remembers probably the most? That one, because it was a vivid visual reminder. It, it just wasn't a, a note like all the other ones. I just described to you the book of Revelation. There you go. The book of Revelation is God's love letter to us, as is all of the scriptures, but he wants it to be a vivid visual reminder. That's hard to forget. And it is, right? It's hard to forget beasts with horns coming out of their heads and dragons and flying horsemen. And it's, those are vivid visual images that God gives to us for a reason, so that, so that they're memorable. He gave them to the original audience and to us for the same reason. He's, he's putting the whiskers in an envelope and sending it in the mail, and it says, I love you, and, we, and it's hard to forget. What I believe are the two of some of the most important words in Revelation. Remember we talk about how, how important transition words are? When you're reading the Bible, you want to understand it better. Don't skip over the little words at the beginning of a sentence, like therefore or then, Okay? or the, the connecting words, but, however, and, for, therefore. Okay, these two little words, don't skip over these. And they, they're all over the place in Revelation. I, if you miss these, you, you will not understand the book of Revelation. But if you get them, you got it nailed. Here's the two words, two most important words in the book of Revelation. I saw. It's the Apostle John, and he's saying, I saw. See, the book of Revelation is a, a bunch of visions that God gave to the Apostle John, and those visions are vivid, visual expressions of God saying, I love you. So all John is doing is basically, it's like he's looking at a piece of art, and he's telling us, oh, there on that piece of art, there's a dragon with 12 heads. Oh, and he's, he's stepping into the sea. That's a piece of art. It does not mean... That that, exact piece, that that piece of art is the future. That piece of art is a piece of art. It just demonstrates truths of God that God wants us to know. It doesn't mean that there's going to be a dragon with 12 heads stepping into the sea, literally, on our planet. So be careful of that literalistic kind of interpretation of Revelation. I'll get in trouble. Hey, Revelation is a piece of art, and John is saying, hey, i got to tell you what I saw. And he's just telling us what he, he saw. So now here, in Revelation 14, verses 6 and 7, he tells us what he saw. Revelation 14, 6, John says, I saw an angel flying in midair, and he had the eternal gospel to proclaim. When angels appear in the Bible... There's something big going on. When did angels appear in the Bible? The book of Job says they were at creation. Maybe not all six days. Some say they were. We don't know for sure which day, but they were at, we know they were at creation. That's a big deal. They appeared to Abraham, the father of all believers. When the promise came to Abraham, you and Sarah will have a miracle son. The Daniel saw them in a vision. They were fighting against hell, against the kingdom of hell and of Satan. Then in the New Testament, you're probably way more familiar with the New Testament appearances. The very first appearance of an angel in the New Testament is to two 
humble, young, young adults, maybe teenagers, Joseph and Mary. Jesus, is, the Messiah is here. The, the Christ is going to be born. And then they appeared to the shepherds, so the shepherds would make it known. And then the next time they appeared, in public at least, was when Jesus rose from the dead and they announced to the disciples, he's risen, he's not dead, he's risen. And then they appeared to the disciples at his ascension and said to the disciples, why do you stand here looking in the sky? Get, tell, go out, tell the good news. And he'll come back again. And when he comes back, the angels will be with him. When angels appear, it's big news. Big stuff is happening. So now John is involved in this big news, this big event. The angels are appearing, and, and one of them is proclaiming the eternal gospel. Eternal is a word. We usually hear that word and, and think... Eternal is, eternity is going to begin, it's a, it's a time thing. It's going to begin when I get to heaven, and then heaven will just go forever. If you're like me, that's, that's how you typically think of the word eternal in the Bible. The word eternal in the Bible is way more than that. The literal meaning, both in the Hebrew and the Greek actually, the literal meaning is unbounded or unlimited. Not just in time. We Westerners think in, in linear, kind of linear-like, and we think it's time, but it's, the gospel is eternal. It's unbounded. It's unlimited in a lot of ways. Not just time. It's not, it doesn't have boundaries on it. It doesn't have curbs. It doesn't just apply to this amount of time or this situation or circumstance, but it's unbounded. It's unlimited. Now, here's how we get in trouble, is that we like to limit the gospel. We too easily believe lies that apply to the gospel and aren't true, and it's limiting the gospel. For instance, sure, I believe Jesus died for my sins, but maybe not this one. It's, this is a really bad one, and nobody else knows about it except God. And I can't, I can't get past it. And maybe Jesus just hasn't forgiven me for that one. See how that's limiting the gospel? You know, I, I know that my Heavenly Father forgives me, but boy, I just don't feel forgiven. I guess maybe it's not always true. See how we, so we, we receive the gospel, we say we believe it, but we don't always believe it in its eternal, unbounded form. That's the essence of the gospel. The angel is in midair. He's free. He's not bounded. He's flying, and he's proclaiming this eternal gospel that's not bounded by time or space or circumstance. And not only is it unbounded in that way, where the gospel has been proclaimed, but it's unbounded as to whom it applies. To every nation, tribe, language, and people. I'm going to ask you a question. You answer out loud. Ready? Go. Which nation? 
which language? Which person? See that? See how unlimited the gospel is? It's all time, all people, everywhere. There are no exceptions. Boy, what a risk for God to take, isn't it? For God just to say, I don't, no matter who you are, no matter where you live, no matter what continent, continent in, in what time in history, no matter what you've done, no matter how terrible it has been, no matter to how many people you have committed this terrible sin, even we could say, no matter what you think of God, even if you don't believe in God, the gospel still is true. And the gospel still applies to you. You receive the benefits of it when you repent, when you believe, and you say, thank you, God, for this gospel, this gift. It's a gift. It's a love letter. It's an act of God, an act of love from God, the gospel. Jesus loves everybody. So now what? John's looking, he's saying, I see, I see this angel, he's proclaiming the eternal gospel. <laughs> done, amen, let's be done. Oh, wait, there's more. There's the now what? You believe in the gospel, you believe it's eternal, you believe it applies to you at all times, you believe you're forgiven for every sin, you believe that historically Jesus died on the cross and nothing can change that fact? Now What? One more story. I think, you're, I think my wife is in this one, too. Yeah, you are. We are in the backyard. It was, it was July 4th, and we were catching some sunshine, and I don't think we were really relaxing. We were doing yard work. Um, we were kind of dirty and sweaty, and, and it was a beautiful day on July 4th, but very quickly, the, the dark clouds started rolling in, and a uh, little thunder in the distance. We kept working. Now nah, we can... It'll be fine. And then it just started to pour rain, and it actually felt good. It, was, it cooled us off a little bit. We kind of smiled and laughed, and, oh, let's just work through it, until, kaboom! This, like, bolt of lightning that shook the ground on our feet. We didn't feel electricity. I was surprised we didn't, because it was close. We darted into the house, kind of like Martin Luther when the lightning struck, you know, and he it changed his world. Uh, and here's what changed after that. After that, we had our internet in our home, like, would drop signal like 15 to 20 times a day. It would just go off. We'd be FaceTiming our granddaughter, and she'd freeze, and we couldn't hear, and couldn't, and we had canceled, can't do that. Uh, streaming a, a movie or uh, our music station, buffering or canceled, and I constantly, day by day by day. So, of course, we contact the internet service provider, who is not my favorite internet service provider. And uh, over the course of four months, to the day, now today is November 4th, this is July 4th, four months, they have visited our home four times, sent three different technicians, the first three did a, I did a little something, moved a wire, climbed a pole. I don't know what they did. Didn't fix the problem. Same problem. Didn't seem to listen to me when I said, I think it might have been a lightning strike. They did all their other normal protocol stuff. And we've been operating. And keep on, I, I work at home, so I rely on internet connection and uh, even, a, even internet connection for international video conferencing. 
So I'm in the middle of an international video conference and the internet goes down. Not fun, okay? It's frustrating. Finally, they sent a man this last week and he climbed the pole and he said, I, I think I know what the problem is. It is lightning and we have to fix this piece of equipment. It called the amplifier and uh, your signal wasn't coming because the amplifier was out and uh, he fixed the amplifier and now we have better signal for the most part, not perfect. I would not give that internet service provider a thumbs up good rating at all. If you were to ask me if you should use them in your home, I would say no way. Uh, they haven't taken care of this problem and they've known it's existed in four months, right? I'm an unsatisfied customer. With the gospel, there are zero unsatisfied customers. You cannot believe the gospel and be an unsatisfied customer. It, it, that's, it doesn't exist. If you have a problem with God or with the gospel, it's not the gospel's fault and it's not God's fault. It's not, it's not the fault of God's work in your life. It's not the fault of God's work in the church. If you have a problem with the gospel and with God, it's your problem. Because the gospel is perfect, it's unlimited, it's eternal, and God dispenses it, and he can't do anything wrong, and he loves you all the way. And so, the now what is, man, giving the gospel a thumbs up rating. The now what is being a satisfied customer, and here's what that looks like. John says this, verse 7, fear God and give him glory because the hour of his judgment has come. Worship him who made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and the springs of water. I want to unpack this with three words, and all of them begin with the letter A. First of all, John says, fear God. That, that word fear does include being afraid. Don't explain the fear of the Bible don't explain the afraid part away to your friends when the word fear appears in the Bible. It's, a, it's part of the package. This is a God who, who creates lightning. This is a God who created hell for the devil and his angels. This is the holy God who is a just God, and I'm not perfect. There is an element of being afraid in fear. There better be. But it's a holy fear. It's a healthy respect. When I think of that word, I think of the respect, um, and you might say the awe that I had for my grandpa when I was a kid. My grandpa was a pastor, six foot four, a uh, big guy, and he would, he, he'd climb the pulpit when he preached, and it was like way up there, and I would sit right there and be looking up, and it was like I was looking at God. And he had this big booming voice and big hands that shook hands with the people. As they, and he'd bring me with him to shake hands with the people. And I felt small and minute and diminished in the presence of this big man, my grandpa. And then as I grew up, he would take me fishing and we'd stay at his home. And, and uh, grandpa and I would get up at five in the morning and go bass fishing when it was still dark out. And, and I would just think, wow, we're going to have tons of bass just jumping in our boat because my grandpa's just going to snap his fingers. It's going to happen. Uh, that, that 
sense of awe and respect you can have for a person like that? Maybe you have a person in your life, a parent, a grandparent, a boss, a coach, a teacher, that, that you feel that way about, right? That's, that's what the Bible means when it says fear. It's like this awe, this holy respect. When you have awe of God, he's not one of the things going on in your life. When you have awe of God, he's not one of the beings whom you happen to love. When you have awe of God, he's the one. He's, he's it. Nothing compares, right? Martin Luther writes in his exclamation of the first commandment, we fear, love, and trust in God above all things. You trust no one more than God. You love no one more than God. You fear no one more than God. And it shows, and people know it. That's giving God and his gospel a thumbs-up gold star rating. Being in awe of God. Number two, John says to give him glory... So that kind of goes along with awe. I'm so enamored with God that he's my audience of one. Here's what I mean by that. We can work very hard in our life to perform for or gain the approval of, of others, people other than God. I can work very hard to be the son that I'm convinced my dad wanted me to be. And even as a 50-year-old, still live to please my dad who's in heaven. Very tempting. Or pleasing a spouse. Or pleasing, uh, gaining the approval of your peers. Or needing the approval of the mirror in the morning. Or needing your neighbors to know that you're keeping up with the Joneses. There's all kinds of people whose approval we are tempted to need. And we need to remember if we're, we're living in awe of God that we, we, we play for an audience of one. And it's God's approval through his gospel that makes the biggest difference for us in our lives. And it's giving God glory. And saying, God, I'm doing this for you. And when I do something for God and it's a gift for him, whether it fails or succeeds in a worldly way, doesn't matter as much as, as that it's my gift to God. And, and believe this, when you are performing for God as your audience of one, when that's your focus, it puts everything else in perspective. It truly does. You bless God, God blesses you. All right, finally, John says we worship him. I, I'd say the A there is an appreciation of God. Right? Worship is meant to be, for, for us here on this earth, worship is vertical and horizontal. Right? We bring God into our worship, and then we, we reflect God in our worship with each other. But worship is always multi-directional. It's never just me as an island or by myself. And so worship is an appreciation of God. God, you've given me so much. I want to I give back to you. God, you talk to me in your word. God, I want to talk back to you in prayer. God, you've given me these blessings. I, I, I need to sing and dance and pray. and I need to worship you, God. I worship you with my life. I worship you at church on Sunday morning. Awe of God, audience of one, and appreciation of God.
if you take those things that, that John marks right here in Revelation 14, you apply those things to the missed messages that happen spiritually in your life, if you apply those things to you're praying and praying and praying and not getting a clear answer, apply awe of God, audience of one, appreciation for God. That lack of answer in prayer will not be as unclear or missed anymore. If you apply those A's, the awe of God, uh, uh, audience of one, appreciation for God, to I don't feel forgiven, to I'm, I'm looking for God's guidance and I'm, I'm hitting closed doors, to uh, I, I want to apply my faith and it seems like I'm digging a hole and not moving a mountain. You apply awe of God and God is your audience and appreciation for God, it will clear up those cloudy messages. There'll be less noise, less confusion, and more clarity. Martin Luther tried that. And because he did, you and I are here today. There's people in your world who are confused about God. People who you cross paths with on a daily basis who are unclear about the gospel. Today, God is giving it to you on a silver platter and telling you this is what the gospel is and, th and it's eternal. It's not limited. So live with the gospel as unlimited in your heart and soul and life and don't limit it to others. But be a proclaimer. Be a witness. And then someone else will be able to say, I believe in God the way I do today because you we're a witness. May that be true of us personally and of our church. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's pray. Gracious God, you, you deliver the gospel message to us in such a variety of ways. And today, this, this visual, vivid reminder of it in the book of Revelation encourages our hearts. Thank you for attaching the word eternal to gospel to remind us that it's not bounded and it's not limited and that we can live in it freely and that we can share it freely too. Bless us and our church as we move forward to be gospel proclaimers, to, to know and believe in the grace and peace that are ours through Jesus Christ and then be sharers of it so that others know it too. In Jesus' own name we pray, amen.